God wants good for his creation. That good is not without a standard and only reaches a full measure with a relationship with God. Hi, I'm Fanny Ossigan, a preacher for the Church of Christ. Thank you for tuning into today's sermon, God's Intention of Good for His People, taken from Micah 4, an oracle foretelling the good God intends for His people, which culminates in Christ and the Church. Given in the days of Hezekiah, Micah gives encouragement to God's people of the good God will provide if they heed his words. This promise of the good of God encourages us to put faith in God despite where we come from or what's going on in the world. Hopefully, we can learn from this sermon and commit to God in such a way that we exemplify and encourage others around us to do the same. It doesn't take much to understand that what God usually intends for people, well, not usually, but what God intends for his people is good. A lot of people are under that assumption. So that's why at a lot of funerals, people just put people into heaven because they expect the good that God intends for people to just materialize at some point in their existence. But what people don't always consider is that to get the good that God intends requires a relationship with God, predicated on what God wants. And so as we continue to journey through this oracle of Micah, these oracles that he he prophesies to Jerusalem, we are now at the fourth chapter. We looked at the third chapter briefly in our Bible class, and we looked at the result of bad leadership and where it leads to, which is actual condemnation from God. And now we're going to look a little bit at good leadership, which is the opposite, which is exaltation by God. Put it in a place where God wants you that you're sustained by the creator of everything. And those are the only two options that we ultimately have. With God, without God. And so as, as we consider who it is that we're following, we consider who it is that's making decisions or the source of the decisions that's guiding where we're headed, we know that we want to ultimately end up with God eternally. And so for that to happen, we must come up under the leadership of God because we know ultimately that God wants good for his people. And we know also that there's a consequence if you don't adhere to God's rule. Now, as we look at the fourth uh, chapter of Micah, we're going to go back into the book of Kings. And we're going to look at one of the kings that lived during the days of Micah, which is Hezekiah. And this oracle is a microcosm of the relationship God intends to have with the world. And Micah gives us a good case study to look at with Hezekiah. Some would say could have went the wrong way because of his father. But he chose to follow God and he goes the right way. 
but also Hezekiah has situations to where his faith is tested and we see the results of those tests that he endured. So if you're with me at Micah 4, let's just read the second half of this um, prophecy that starts at chapter 3. And it reads, In days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised up above the hills. People shall stream to it, and many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and shall arbitrate between strong nations far away. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore, but they shall all sit under their own vines and under their own fig trees, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all the peoples walk each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever. And ever in that day, says the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted the lame. I will make the remnant and those who were cast off a strong nation and the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion now and forevermore. And you, O tower of the flock, heel of the daughter of Zion to you, it shall come. The former dominion shall come, the sovereignty of daughter of Jerusalem. Now, why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in you? Has your counselor perished that pangs has seized you like a woman in labor? Writhe and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. For now you shall go forth from the city and camp in the open country. You shall go to Babylon. There you shall be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hands of your enemies. Now many nations are assembled against you, saying, Let her be profane, and let our eyes gaze upon Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan, that he has gathered them as the sheaves to the threshing floor. Arise and thresh, O daughter Zion, for I will make your horn iron and your hoofs bronze. You shall beat in pieces many peoples and shall devote their gain to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord of the whole earth. This is an interesting oracle because in it, it's not complete, it goes on to chapter 5. But in it, what we actually see is the good that God intends for his people. In chapter 3 in the book of Micah, what we saw was the result of bad leadership, which was condemnation, which was oppressing the people, which was the leaders actually having the opposite result of what they intended through their destructive practices. In Micah 4, what we have is God now assuming leadership over his people. 
And it would be safe to presume that what Micah is speaking of in these first couple of verses is the church. Because listen how he starts this off. In days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall raise up above the hills. People shall stream to it and many nations shall come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. You see what Micah is saying is, let us go to God's temple. Let all of the peoples go there and seek instruction from God. And we know that in this day that Micah's writing, he's not referring to the temple in Jerusalem because he's talking about a later day in days to come. And there's a bunch of prophecies in Micah which point to Jesus. In chapter five, there's a few that we'll look at next week. But in days to come, people will go to the highest of the mountains that's established where the Lord will put his house. The church. Where God establishes to draw all people to him, to teach them their ways, to make them his people. And what's beautiful about this, this vision that Micah has is that he envisions something so great that even the people who do not prescribe to God as their God, they still live in a context of peace. To where all of these people are coming to learn of God's ways to get arbitration from God so that there is peace that persists in the land. You see what God aims at is good for his people, which happens to spill out to be good for all people. You see, whereas the, the, the leaders and rulers in the third chapter of Micah, what they were bringing about was war, destruction. They were tearing off the skin off of the people. But what God says I bring about is peace, arbitration. I bring about my laws so that peoples can live in the state to where they beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Instead of fighting, they're growing food to sustain themselves. Instead of being at odds with each other, they're at peace in their land with the sustenance that they need so that they can live a whole life. And he goes on to say, they shall sit under their own vines and under their own fig trees, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. You see, what God speaks, God intends, is peace, understanding, unity. And for each and every person to have what is needed for them to be sustained. No greed, no hate, no violence. Life as God intended. And God is so caring, so loving that he goes on to say that 
I intend so much good for those who are even in bad positions. I'm going to have some restorative act to where they will now be at a better position. In that day, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted. The lame I will make the remnant and those who were cast off a strong nation and the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion now and forever more. You see what God aims at is a restoration of his people, even in situations to where he afflicted them. And if you think about where Jerusalem is in the days that Micah is writing this, is that they have been through some trials and tribulations. We talked about all of the troubles that beset them in the days of Ahaz and how they had suffered these defeats by all of these different kings and how they had lost men and how they had been plundered and how they had lost cities and how they had been just destroyed because they were not following God. But what God says is ultimately, for my people, what I want is good. And it causes us to consider our relationship with God. Because we know that the good that God intends for us only comes in relationship to him. Because the bad that God gives comes because of a lack of relationship with him. And so as God's people, we know that what God intends for us is the good. So that should call us, compel us, challenge us to remain faithful through whatever it is that we go through. Because we know on the flip side of this is the bad. And that if you make yourself an enemy of God or God's people, you actually are going to put yourself in a position to where you suffer the consequence of that. Because while God is talking about restoration for these people who are lame, for these people who have uh, been downtrodden, cast off, then he owes and he talks about those who are against them. 11. Now many nations are assembled against you saying, let her be profane and let our eyes gaze upon Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plans that he has gathered them as sheaves to the threshing floor. Arise and thresh, O daughter Zion, for I will make your horn iron and your hoofs bronze you shall beat in pieces many peoples and shall devour their gain to the Lord their wealth to the Lord of the whole earth you see what people don't understand is if they don't have a godly perspective they can't see things as God sees it and when they're looking at God's people who are maybe getting punished by God they're seeing a moment in time they're not seeing a person's or God's people's final destination they're not seeing the end result and the bad part is that so many people think that they can see a person of God in a bad situation and God has cast them off and that's the end of their relationship with God and he's going to leave them down 
And so what they want to do is they want to ridicule, they want to abuse, they want to step on them, they want to talk bad about them. They even want to talk negative against God. But what God says is you don't understand what I'm doing. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. What I'm actually going to do with this person, these people, is make them conquer you. I'm going to defeat you by their hands, and they're going to offer up the plunder to me, to me, out of appreciation what I've done for them. That's a beautiful thought. That if we walk with God, no matter what we're going through, he intends good for us. That if we walk with God, no matter what we go through, the end result will be better than what we actually started. You see, if you consider where Jerusalem is at this day and age, they were supposed to be so established in the country during the days of Joshua that they would have never got taken out. That they would have never lost a battle. That they would have never missed a harvest. And God intended good for them, but they were not faithful. So God has to punish them. And God sees not only where the people are, but where he's going to bring them and where he's going to bring them to. Because we get a little bit of foresight in this prophecy because this is the days of the latest is Hezekiah. And in Hezekiah's day, Babylon is not really too much of a threat. We'll see it comes in towards the end of his reign, but Babylon's not too much of a threat. But here we see right here that God is talking about sending his people to Babylon and then he's going to bring them back. Look at verse 10. Rise and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. For now you shall go forth from the city and camp in the open country. You shall go to Babylon. There you shall be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hands of your enemies. You see, at this time in the history of uh, Judah, Jerusalem, the threat to them was Assyria. And we'll read a passage where, dare I say, that God eliminates that threat from them because of the faithfulness of Hezekiah. Because the people rededicated themselves to God, demonstrated through the celebration of the Passover. And so the problems that they were going through, the the same Assyria that came and conquered Israel, the ten tribes that God had given to Jeroboam that never followed God, they were not a problem for Jerusalem when Jerusalem demonstrated faith. Because what God wants is good for his people. He wanted to establish them in the land, and he showed that he could do it. But it takes a relationship with God. Turn over to the book of 2 Kings with me. And we'll look at 2 Kings. We'll start off with 2 Kings 18. 
God is just looking for people to be faithful. And sometimes that faith has to come from ourselves. We would want to be in a position to where we're in, in a context of life to where our faith is taught to us by parents, where it's passed down by a previous generation, to where we're in a, a community of faith. But the way that life is set up is sometimes you have to look within so that you can follow God even if nobody else is. And you have to be the example. 18 verse 1. 2 Kings. In the third year of King Hosea, son of Elah of Israel, Hezekiah, son of King Ahaz of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign. He reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abai, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord, just as his ancestor David had done. He removed the high places broke down the pillars and cut down the sacred pole. He broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the people of Israel had made offerings to it. It was called Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was no one like him among all the kings of Judah after him or among those who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. The Lord was with him wherever he went. He prospered. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and would not serve him. You see, Hezekiah makes a decision that I'm going to be with God no matter what. I'm going to be with God and it's going to be demonstrated in the way that I live. Just think. If you was written in scripture and it said about you that you followed God in such a way that it was not, it was unlike anybody after you or before you. What kind of faith does that take? What kind of walk is that with God that you separate yourself so far from the pack that even having an unfaithful father who brings all of these idolatrous religious items into the temple of God, that you separate yourself from that and not just do good, but you do great. And we all have that ability. God has given us his spirit, which gives us access to have a measure of faith that we can demonstrate an example of what to be like even if we don't have one to follow ourselves. You see, that demonstrates itself in what we do and how we do it. You see, I think the first thing that Hezekiah does is he makes up in his mind that he's going to follow God. No matter what, I'm going to follow God. You see, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, just as his ancestor David had done. How long had David been dead? 
dead when Hezekiah was born. We're talking hundreds of years. You see, sometimes the example that we need to follow is not the one that's in our immediate context, but it's in some far away context that we still need to hold on to so that we can get some type of glimpse of what we're to be. And I would say scripture is perfect for that because we see that there is all kind of examples in scripture that show us what it really looks like to follow God. And so even if we don't have the right example in our immediate context, we have no excuse if we have the word of God. And so what we have to learn to do is we have to find people in scripture that went through similar situations as us that demonstrated faith. Because sometimes it's not just in our immediate context. Sometimes it's not just as present as we would wish it to be. And scripture is replete with a bunch of examples of people in all different aspects of life that we could benefit from just from the reading of it. And so I think Hezekiah read about David, knew about David, knew how God had been with David, how God had had, 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 had brought David victories, how God had kept David as he's running from Saul all in the wilderness. And Hezekiah learned something from this example of David and says, you know what? Even though my father was not faithful, I will be. And so what I'm going to do is as soon as this kingdom is established in my hand, the very first year, we're going to follow God. We're going to have a Passover unlike any Passover before us because that's what God says. That's what I found in Scripture, and that's what I'm going to do, even if my father never did it. Even if this is the first time in my life that I have had a Passover, I know what it's supposed to look like because it's in Scripture. And so we see that God is with Hezekiah because Hezekiah proves himself to be with God. And what we must always remember is that just because God's with us and we choose to walk with God, it doesn't mean that life is going to be a cakewalk. How many times have you got disappointed because you thought that you were doing the right thing by God and and something happens to where you're like, oh, this is too rough. I'm not supposed to go through bad situations because God's with me. If that was the case, everybody would follow God. But I think what happens is there are people who don't follow God who go about doing things their own way and it causes trouble for those of faith. I don't want to say that God always tests us in these situations, but God allows us to go through them so that we can deepen our faith so that we can see what we're made of. But I would say that it's people who have no regard for God who make it harder For those who are trying to follow God. Because what we see is as Hezekiah has consecrated the Israelites, those in Jerusalem, and they followed this uh, Passover for the first time in a good number of years. The bad comes. Jump over to chapter 19 of 2 Kings. And we're going to read two short passages. First, we're going to start at verse 8. And this is Sennacherib coming up against Jerusalem, trying to overthrow it. 
The Rabshakan returned and found the king of Assyria fighting against Libna, for he had heard that the king had left Lachish. When the king heard concerning King Tereka of Ethiopia, see, he has set out to fight against you. He sent messengers again to Hezekiah, saying, Thus shall you speak to King Hezekiah of Judah. Do not let your God on whom you rely deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. See, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands, destroying them utterly. Shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered them, the nations that my predecessors destroyed? Gozen, Haran, Rezpah, and the people of Eden who were in Telesar? Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the city of Sepharavim, the king of Hena, or the king of Iva? You see, the problem is prevalent and right there. Threatening, boasting, and real. And what's Hezekiah's options? Well, he has plenty of options, but what does he do? Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. Then Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, who are enthroned above the cherubim, you are God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations in their lands and have hurled their gods into the fire. Though they were no gods but the work of human hands, wood and stone, and so they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, save us. I pray you from this hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. Then Isaiah, son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus said the Lord, the God of Israel, I have heard your prayer to me about King Sennacherib of Assyria. And for time's sake, we're going to jump down to the result of that, which is found at verse 32 of the same chapter. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into the city, shoot an arrow there, come before it with a shield or cast up a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, by the same he shall return. He shall not come into this city, says the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it for my own sake, for the sake of my servant David. That very night, the angel of the Lord set out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. When morning dawned, they were all dead bodies. You see what happened? Because Hezekiah is walking with God. Because Hezekiah is demonstrating faith to God in a difficult situation, what God does is he turns this bad situation good for Hezekiah. He takes these threats that's coming from Sennacherib. He takes, and they're very real. He takes them and he just moves them out of the way. Why? Because Hezekiah has the faith to go to God with his problems and leave it with God. 
How many times do we do that? When there's something that's really an issue, really a problem with us, just leave it there. I'm not talking about keeping a piece of it, but leaving it there. Hezekiah takes this letter that comes from this, this blasphemer and he lays it before God and just leaves it there. He acknowledges that the threat is real. He acknowledges that he has conquered these other nations, but they're not God's. He relies on God's relationship. He says, God, do something so that all of these other nations will know that you are the God. And I believe that if we came to God with that same faith, we would have the same result. God act in this situation so that people will know that only you could have done this and I will give you the glory. I will exalt your name. I will tell people that you saved me when nothing else could. I know that I'm in a hard situation. I know that I'm in dire straits and I know that other people have been conquered by what I'm going through, but they have not relied on you like I'm relying on you. They did not have a relationship with you as I have with you. Please, God, intercede for me and I'm going to leave it at your feet in faith. James tells us, do not be double-minded. A lot of times what happens is we leave some, a lot, half, most, but not all of our cares with God. We still hold out for a little bit of our strength. We still hold on a little bit of somebody else's way that works. We hold on to just a little bit to where we don't give total faith to God. And so God doesn't act because we're not approaching him with the whole mind. We're double-minded at times. And God doesn't want that. What God wants is us to know that he will act on his behalf for his people that are walking with him. So when those hard times come, leave them at God's feet. Because what God can do is he can take this bad situation that you're in and turn it good. He can take the cares that you have in this world and reverse them. Take them away. Get rid of it completely. 185,000 people died in one night because of one prayer of a person who had faith. That's a very problematic time. Just think, Sennacherib has 185,000 people at the doors of Hezekiah wanting to go to war. The same Sennacherib come and boast and says, I'll give you 2,000 horses if you could put men on them. So what does that tell you? The army was greatly outnumbered. What does God do? God acts. God doesn't even need Hezekiah's help. God even doesn't even... Have Hezekiah lift one sword. What God does is he goes through and he destroys 185,000 people. Because of faith. And just think of what God would do for us if we walked with him. If we went to him in total faith with what we're going through and left it at his feet. He could turn those bad situations good. But there's a flip side to that. 
we have to be mindful that as we go to God with faith and that God wants good for his people, that we must not become too prideful, that we must not get beside ourselves and start thinking that I'm somebody special because God did something for me and get the big head and forget that it was God who did it for you. Because if we ever get to that point, then we find ourselves almost in the same boat as those people that God's condemning. Look at Hezekiah, the last passage we'll look at. Hezekiah 20, and we'll go to verse 12. At that time, King Merodach Baladin, son of Baladin of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he had heard that Hezekiah had been sick. Hezekiah welcomed them. He showed them all his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his armory, all was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Then the prophet Isaiah came to King Hezekiah and said to him, what did these men say? From where did they come to you? Hezekiah answered, they came from a far country, from Babylon, he said. What have they seen in your house? Hezekiah answered, they have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing in my storehouses that I did not show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. Days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your ancestors have stored up until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. Some of your own sons who are born to you shall be taken away. They shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. You see, Hezekiah forgot that he needed to remain humble. Hezekiah forgot that he needed to continue to walk with God, not with himself. Hezekiah overlooked the fact that just like God can take a bad situation and turn it good, he could take a good situation and turn it bad. And see, what God really wants for us it's faith, it's trust, it's a relationship to where we're totally dependent upon him in the good times and in the bad times. No matter what situation we've come up out of, if we've had good examples, if we had no examples, what God wants us all to do is to learn him and to walk with him. Because if we do, He's going to make good for us. Started with the establishment of this world. Continued with the creation of a nation. Which led to the development and the start of the church through his son, Jesus Christ, who died and took away all of our sins. The church in which we're all members of. That's not where it ends. It ends when we get with him in heaven. And what he wants us to do is to have humility and faith through the whole process because we have tasted the good that he has to offer. But we don't ever want to get beside ourselves and think that the little bit of good that we've tasted is the end all to be all. When 
is down, we tend to have faith or a measure of it. But sometimes when we're doing good, we put faith to the side and pick up pride and forget it was God who made it good for us. And so we must not never forget that in all situations we need God. Because just like he can make the bad good, we don't want him to make the good bad. And while that bad didn't happen in Hezekiah's days, Micah foresaw Babylon coming, the punishment that Babylon was going to be by the hand of God. But you know what else Micah saw? Micah saw God's people getting released from that Babylonian exile. Micah foretold of the church that was established in Jesus that we're members of. Because what Micah understood was that God was showing, prophesying through him a way for all people to receive the good that God has for those who would trust in him. No matter where you start off, if you're lame, if you're downtrodden, if you have no spiritual background that leads you to understanding of Christ, God has put his word out there for us all. And when we're going through it, leave whatever cares we have at God's feet. And when he takes us out of it, we still stay at God's feet, humble, thankful for what he's done for us because he's going to do greater when he brings us into his eternal fold in heaven. I'm not sure where that leaves you. I just wanted to put on your mind that sometimes we can't get discouraged by what we talked about in Bible class to where man's leadership is not what God's leadership is. And that men usually function with a motive to empowering themselves, which leads to those who follow them being put in bad situations, which oftentimes leads the whole country down the wrong path. But the other way, which is God's way, leads those who will take hold of faith to heaven. And sometimes it's difficult because life happens. You have situations that are bigger than you that come at your door. And if you don't go to God with those situations, you will be defeated. But you have a God who's stronger than that, who's bigger than that, who cares enough about you that if you take those burdens to him and leave them there, he'll pick them up and throw them away so that you'll be okay. And as he does that, to stay humble and mindful enough that it was God who gave you all that you have and not to become prideful and act as if you did something separate and apart from God. Because we need them and our ultimate prize will be heaven. And we all want to see each other there. When this life is over, we want to I don't know how we'll look, but I'm pretty sure we'll recognize each other because Peter, James, and John, they recognized Elisha and Moses, and they had been dead for thousands of years. 
transfigured and they recognize them. So I'm pretty sure we'll have some semblance of who we are here and recognize each other. And we'll be thankful for the time we spent together and encouraged by the fact that God allowed us to share time on this side of earth to help us all get to the other side eternally. I'm not sure where that sermon leaves you. My prayer is that you will contemplate it and incorporate it into your Christian life. If you're not a Christian, I ask, what's stopping you? God sent his son, Jesus, to freely extend the gift of salvation to all who will follow him. To get that salvation, one must follow the example set out in scripture. The book of Acts, which details the church's beginnings and expansion, shows us biblical examples of those who were saved. A good place to look is in Acts 2. You get Peter preaching the first gospel sermon and the response of those who heard and believed his message. They repented and were baptized, which added them to the church Christ established. The Bible only teaches of one church. If you want to be added to it, go to your local church of Christ and tell them your desire to be washed of your sins and to live a godly life. Study your Bible, put its teachings to practice, and you will make heaven your home.